We, uh, we do just come to you and, and thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to get to share and to get to speak. And, and Lord, this is, this is your thing. It's not my thing. God, may the words that are heard and spoken today be your words, not my words. The things that are remembered, God, be the things of you and not the things of Mike. We, we seek to give you honor and glory. And Lord, I pray that you continue to talk to my heart as we share, as I share, and, uh, and, and to, to the hearts of these people. Fathers, we learn from your word together in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Um, my name is Mike, uh, Mike McCord. I, uh, I am not the pastor. Um, that'd be Gabe, and, and he is out of town on a fishing trip in Colorado, which is pretty cool. Um, especially so uh, because the really ironic thing, you know, and I, I've been, I've known Gabe for, gosh, probably eight or ten years, eight, nine years, I guess. We were on staff. He left staff at Lanier Hills right before I came on staff, and I was a member there, and been at a couple mission agencies, and uh, been on church staff for about four years, and now I, I run a mission sending agency called Mission Element. And uh, kind of ironic that he's over in the mountains fishing, because, you know, when Gabe asked me to, to fill the, the speaking spot for him this Sunday, what we didn't know two or three months ago is that my family and I, this is actually our last Sunday at the branch, that, that we're moving to uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And my wife loves the beach, and I love the mountains in Colorado. Gabe, enjoy that when you listen to the podcast of this. But um, Kansas City has neither one of those things. So you know it is a God story that, is ha- that has us moving out there. And if you really are interested and want to hear that, I'd be happy to tell it, but we're not going to do it right now. Um, so for whatever reason in God's sovereignty and grace and plan, those two things intersected this morning, and here I am. So if you don't like what I say, you don't like the way I look, you never have to deal with me again, probably ever. Um, and, and incidentally, too, you know, when I used to do this to prepare to preach, my, my habit is to get up early, and I, I try to preach through it a couple of different times just to kind of get my rhythm down a little bit. And I, don't, I used to do that in my office at the church, and I don't have that now. So I, I went to Yahula Creek early, and I was sitting there in my car preaching to no one, and there's people that were walking by. So I think Lumpkin County may know what my car looks like, and so I may not need to come to Dahlonega for just a little bit. But... Um, but yeah, so basically I find myself in that really odd place that I've, that I've joked and laughed with people about, you know, if I've been at work and you think about what you can and can't get away with at work and you know, say, you know, you can do anything you want on your last day. And so I really do find myself in that position now that I can do or say anything I want on my last day. And I don't, I don't see any elders here either. So, oh, Matt's back there. He's watching. He's like, <laughs> I got you, man. Um, but no, what I really want to do, though, what I want to do for us is share uh, what God is doing. Uh, I think today's message is, is as much about me and a bunch of, as much about my growth as it is about your growth. So it is a message clearly for us. So any, any conviction, any passion, any stepping on toes that's being done, know that I'm, I'm hitting myself with the same boat oar, okay? Um, and as most of you guys know, you know, we've been taking a break from Luke for the summer, and, uh, and we've been working through Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. And, and we're finishing up the section on inward discipline today. And we're talking about the discipline of study. And, you know, as, I've, uh, you know, as we've pointed out a lot of times through the series, that discipline is not something that we tend to want to celebrate, is it? Because having discipline is not easy. It's not a lot of fun. What we like, though, is the product of discipline. You know, living that disciplined life is not an easy thing. It's not an easy task. 
And you know, right now I'm kind of living that in my own life is that, that I'm trying to walk out this path of getting fit again. And, and it's not fun. Then thank you, Kennard, for putting the bear claws on the table back there, and I haven't had breakfast. Um, so I'm like, yeah. uh, he moved them now. So I'm really happy with that. You know, ironically, it's not the sweets, but it is the bread that, you know, that grabs me. And, you know, it is the pasta that I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't had bread in like three months. And that stuff, you know, it's good, you know. But so there's discipline involved with that. It's not a lot of fun sometimes. It's not fun to work out when you're tired already. Um, but you know what is fun? What is fun is knowing, now God could take me out this afternoon. We know that. But I know that I've increased my chances of being around to spend more time with my wife and my son when I'm in better shape and I weigh less and I'm fitter. I, I have a better likelihood of getting to serve God longer and be better at pursuing his calling in my life and my passion on the mission field when I'm in better shape. And so the outcome and the product of that discipline, that's the fun part. And that's what I want us to grab too as we look at discipline, any of these disciplines that we're talking about over the summer, that discipline, the product of what you get out of it on the backside, it makes it worth the pain of going through it on the front side. You know, outcome drives discipline. And you know, if we really believe this, if we understand that, we're gonna be a lot likely more likely to put the work in than when we don't really get what the byproduct is gonna be. You know, we get that especially with, with study. Now, I know we have a, a really high student population here. You guys know as collegians, a lot of you are still in school that study produces good grades. Well, I haven't seen your grades, so I, I'm hoping you know that study produces good grades. Theoretically, we'll say that study produces good grades, but what we struggle with is spiritually, you know, we know that about study, good grades, okay? Spiritually, when we study, what do we get? And there's crickets. Because I think we kind of struggle to really figure out what the real benefit is of us, uh, is of that for us. Because functionally, what I think we do, you know, we, we all have this thing in us that, you know, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I will. Who knows or thinks or wants to study the Bible, to read the Bible, to know more about God and Jesus and love him more and spend more time with him? I think that's all of us. I know that it's me. And functionally, what we really do is we get a message on Sunday and then we do enough stuff to keep the, the spirituality meter from pegging zero the rest of the week. You know, I kind of had that, that image in my head of the clausometer from Elf you know, just kind of doing this thing. And, but that's kind of how we do it. And, and we can blame it on life, on busyness, but at the end of the day, is it really not just our own laziness and our own drive to, uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather scroll through Facebook than spend the time in the word that I'm supposed to? I mean, that's real, okay? That's real. You know, what we get though, is that we don't take seriously that what we're, what we're doing, this isn't just about fun and games. This is really about life and death. It's not just our life and death, but if we are called as the church to go and make disciples, if we're called to those 26,000 people, that it's about their life and their death and that our study or our lack thereof directly impacts our, how well we're able to share the gospel with people and how well we're able to talk about Christ with other people and lead them in the path and show them and do the whole discipleship thing, that those directly impact that. And when we're not studying, when we're not having that discipline, when we're not having that drive, it impacts our, 
you know, it impacts how well we're able to do ministry that we're called to do as believers. And that's not, that's not a pastor thing. It's not a Christian worker thing. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's a us thing, all right? And so we got to figure out how to get on our game because it is a life or death thing with us. And so, you know, I think we're all in that same boat. And, and ultimately, yeah, you know, I've looked at Richard Foster's stuff. I read through his chapter. He has some really good things, but you know what those books do? And we'll talk about this is that they push you to scripture. And what I want to give you is not Richard Foster can. What I want to give you is what God says that launches because that's really what matters. It's not, it's not about my wisdom or his wisdom or John Piper's wisdom. It's about God's wisdom. And, and so we want to look at scripture. And, and so today we're going to be in first Timothy. You say what part of first Timothy? We're just going to do the whole thing. All right, or Second Timothy, I said, not First Timothy. Second Timothy, we're going to do. We're just going to do the whole thing. Go to First Timothy. You're not going to find anything that you need there, because we won't be talking there. Um, but Second Timothy, and Second Timothy is kind of an important book because, just to give you guys some really quick background, so you grab the context. This is Paul's last book that he wrote. Okay, this is Paul's very last book that he wrote, and and he knows as you read this, you know, Paul has had this crazy life of. Uh, of discipline and ministry and he's been persecuted and stoned and shipwrecked and all of these things and and he's had some really close calls in his life and now he knows it's the end he, he's in prison in Rome he knows the end is coming and so he's writing to Timothy now we know from the end of the book that he's hoping to get to see Timothy again and that may work out. You know, he's saying, when you come, bring this stuff, bring my cloak, bring the books. But I don't think Paul really, really knows. He, it, could, it could be tomorrow. It's just, you know, when the emperor decides it's going to be time. When Caesar decides it's, it's over. And so when Paul's writing this, and, and I don't think it's by accident, obviously, when God inspired Paul to write 2 Timothy and what Timothy or what Paul is going through at the time is there is a finality to this. There's a, a, a gravity and a magnitude and a uh, like, I want you, Timothy, and by extension, because it is God's word to us, I want you, church, to get this. I want you to understand this. These are things, it's a short book, but man, it's packed full. I want you to get this because this is the last time, Paul, I'm gonna get to say it and I want you to understand. And so what he gives us is some really clear direction and he gives us this understanding. You know, we see Paul's concern over false teachers. We see Paul's call for Timothy to walk in discipline and focus. We see the centrality of the word. We see why study is so important. And, you know, these are, are Paul's, again, they're his last inspired words. And so Paul spends his first, very first part of the book, and we're going to be, we're going to look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7 to start. He, he spends the very first part kind of talking, reminding Timothy about his call, reminding him about his gift, and then he launches into this. He says, Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, the New American Standard Version, that's the English standard that the, the Bibles that are out here in the, in the seats are, which I really love. But the New American Standard actually translate that last word as discipline, as discipline. Some translations say a sound mind, but you get the point of what he's kind of drawing Timothy back to. And, and the thing that he's wanting him to grab is this, I believe, is that, Timothy, God has given you his spirit and that you are gonna have power, love, and discipline because you have his spirit in you. 
So right away, we need to see, and this again applies to all of these disciplines that we're looking at this summer, is that the only way that you're going to carry those out, it's not you that's going to do it. It's you empowered through the Holy Spirit to make this stuff happen. You can't make this. You can't muscle your way through it enough. I'll tell you how that works. I tried to muscle my way through seven months in Africa as a missionary. Mentally, I was, I, I did not do, as was suggested to us, the cultural preparation because I thought we knew we'd been there several times, stayed in the same room, but I wasn't ready for what I was just going to get hit in the head with culturally. I couldn't do it my own, my, in my own strength. And you can't do this in your own strength. And, and as we look at the very next verse, Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in my suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The only way you're going to share in the suffering, the only way you're going to be effective for the gospel, like Paul is talking about here, is when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. You can't do it on your own. And then Paul moves in. He, he, he continues on talking and uh, talking about the gospel. And then he moves into chapter two. And he gives us kind of this crash course now in, okay, what does discipline, what does discipline really look like? And, uh, you know, when you think about discipline, what are some examples of what discipline looks like? What are some people that you see? And I think, you know, that when I think about discipline, this is what I envision. And Paul gives us uh, some really clear examples of that. He says, no soldier goes and gets entangled. This is uh, chapter two, verse four through six. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Is the hardworking farmer who ought, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Those are three really disciplined individuals. An athlete, that farmer, you know, not with the crops, but the dairy farmer, then you've got to go milk your cows when you're sick, when it's Christmas, when it's snowing, it doesn't matter. You got to be out there. The military, you know, we, we're here at, the, at UNG. There's lots of our body that is in the core. And so this may mean actually something, but to expand on one of these examples to you, if you're in the core, anybody in the core out there? None of our folks are here today. Um, but uh, what we have, and he's going to hate that I'm about to do this, but what who we have here is an example uh, in the crowd of Colonel John S. Hughley, United States Air Force, retired, my father-in-law. And I'm really proud of him. And I'm not sucking up because I'm moving his daughter and his grandkid to Kansas City. But um, <laughs> I, really, I really am proud of him. And one of the proudest days of my life is when I got to go to McCord Air Force Base. They at least named it after me. Um, and to pin on his eagle for Colonel. Do you know that 2% of Air Force officers make Colonel? 2%. It took hard work. It took moving his family all over the country. It took uh, going to the Book of Day Club called Air War College. It took a master's degree in organizational leadership. It took the, uh, earning the respect of his subordinates and his superiors. It took a lot more work than anything that I can imagine and I know about to make that happen. And it took, and he'll tell you this too, because I know his character, he'll say it was God's grace that did that. And that's absolutely true. And part of God's grace in that was giving him the work ethic to put in the time, to put in the work, to get that done. That's God's grace in his life, giving him that strength and that power. That's discipline. That's what, work, that's what it looks like. That's more discipline than what most of us have, the Olympic athlete. Those kinds of things are beyond what 
Most of us live in our normal lives, but yet God is calling us to that standard as Christians as we study the word and as we seek to know him better. But that's the mindset Paul gives us. And Paul spends the next few verses, he reminds Timothy of honestly, and and I love my father-in-law, but he reminds us of ultimate discipline in Jesus Christ after that. Because he was disciplined to the point of death on the cross for us, right? And that's, that's what real discipline looks like. And so there is no greater example. And, and Paul talks about that. And then Paul turns to Timothy and he moves into chapter two, verse 15. And he talks about now, he moves into Timothy's ministry. And what, what we see in this book, because we're going to look at two brackets of this, is that he talks about Timothy's ministry. He launches into this section of false teaching and then he moves in to chapter three, verse 14. And we'll, we'll end up there in a little bit. But the two brackets on that really play off of each other. And we'll see that in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says this, it says, do your best, do your best. In the New America Standard, it says, be diligent. In the King James, it says, study to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And what we see clearly presented here is the intermingling of this concept of discipline and study, and they're all wrapped up together in one package there. Those things, those things go hand in hand. And what, we're, what we see that showing ourselves as an approved worker for Christ, an approved worker for God, who doesn't need to be ashamed, improve, Im, implies that we are, or not implies, it's stated that we are rightly handling God's word. That is the test of that. And what we see presented is, is um, that we get the why behind the what in this. That we know that under, knowing and understanding God's word the clear implication of this is that when we present ourselves in a, as an improved worker and we studied and we're handling his word rightly, it pleases God. And that's ultimately why we study, isn't it? It's not so we get a bunch of knowledge. It's not so we look good ourselves. It's so we get to know God. We get to know his word, but not just his word, we get to know him better. And here's the thing, and I'm going to hit pause for just a second there and kind of expand that because knowing God better is the reason for study and theology. It has nothing to do with making me look smarter. It has nothing to do with knowing a bunch of facts. It has nothing to do about giving me my best life now or making me better, although those can be byproducts of learning to walk out, which does improve our life because when we follow God's, God's principles presented in the Word, it is good for our life and, and how we live, how we conduct ourselves. It may not be so good for your pocketbook. It may not be so good for your, for your health if you're called to persecution and suffering in the world. You know, there's lots of things that being a Christian, ask, go ask somebody in a Muslim country what happens when they convert to Christ. So they're not going to get their best life now. Okay, just straight up. You're not. Um, but the study of Scripture, what it does, and knowing theology introduces us and helps us get to know an almighty, holy God. And, and what that does when we read Scripture, when we marinate in it, when we put it in our head, when we put it in our heart, is that we now are filtering our life through the words of that sovereign, almighty, holy God and getting to know him better, and that should have impact on how we live the rest of our lives. That's how that works. It's not so I can read it and go, okay, now I need to go do this. No, you need to read it so you know God better so that he changes you because that's the only way you're gonna have the power to do this thing. Um, 
And so that leads to this other place. And man, I hate this because it's just, but it's just true. In the American church right now, we are fighting this trend of, and I, I just, I can't, I can't get it, why it's there, but it's that teaching people straight from the word is boring and not relevant. That understanding doctrine, right doctrine and theology just puffs you up and makes you proud and yada, yada, yada. And, and I'm just, that's just dangerous. That's just dangerous because what happens in that is that you're, you're, withholding, you're withholding from the church the thing that we vitally need to survive. And it's basically like, yeah, there are people that misuse the word. There are people that don't teach it right. Yeah, there's boring teachers. I hope I'm not one. But that do it wrong. But when you withhold it, like that's, that's like withholding pain medicine from people that desperately need it because there's some people that abuse it. No, you still write the script and give it to them if you're the doctor, right? And so that's exactly where God's word is here. And the, the thing is too, and this is even worse, and I think this is what I'm afraid is gonna catch up with us real soon, is that when we won't give people truth because we're afraid they don't wanna hear it because they think it's boring because whatever, 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 is that we're drifting off into what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4. And we're not gonna go over and look at all of this, but basically is that there's a day coming, Paul says, when people are not gonna stand for sound teaching, when they're, not gonna, they're gonna want their ears tickled. They're only gonna wanna hear what they wanna hear and they're not gonna wanna hear God's truth. And I am afraid that we are pushing that envelope because I think that we live in that place right now. And you may thank God that that's not Gabe and that's not the branch. And that's God's grace in that. But I love Gabe's heart in that. I love the vision here that is, is the word that does the thing. That's why we have expository teaching. That's why. That's why that I believe is critical because it teaches you. I don't care what you think, what I say. I care what you think about this, what you know about this. It's not about Mike. It's about this. And Gabe will tell you the same thing about him. And oh, by the way, if, if studying theology and doctrine makes you proud, you missed the point. Because studying theology and doctrine should make you go wham, bow to order the head because it reveals the mirror of how bad I really am by myself. The only good in me is because of Christ in me. It's not about me puffing myself up. It's not my word. It's God doing this thing. And so, you know, I think that what we see is, is Paul combating, I mean, obviously some things that we're gonna be dealing with a couple thousand years later couple thousand-ish years later, that know the word, Timothy. That's, that's how you present yourself as an approved worker. Study, Timothy. Know the word. Rightly handle the word. And then, you know, Paul goes into this section. He talks about false teachers, and then he starts to tie it all up, and he brings us to 2 Timothy 3. And 3.16, you guys, I bet, can all quote the first part of 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed, right? We've, we say that. We talk about the supremacy of Scripture. Totally true. But I want you to see the whole thing in context here. 2 Timothy 3.14-17, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want you to watch the progression there. Continue in what you have firmly believed, what you have learned. How do you learn things? You do what? You study them. 
That's implied, is it not? What did Timothy study? Well, we see that he studied the sacred writings. He also studied the words of Paul, which Peter himself calls scripture, by the way. Now, the one, not everything Paul spoke was inspired, but the stuff that we've got here 13 times, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right here. I think Timothy had access to that. So he studied the word of, of Paul. And then here's this. Yeah, it, it talks about here that, uh, that they're able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Can't, can't miss that, can't deny that. But then we get to this is the money right here because why study? Why know it? Why understand it? Because all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. And at the end of the day, with all the arguments and all the other things and all the other reasoning for study and for understanding scripture, this one fact is what drives it, is it not? We have to be diligent and disciplined to study because God has communicated about himself directly in the form of his word, the Bible. That cannot be overstated. The reason that we have to study, the reason that we have to know this book is because it is God's word directly to us. Period. Sola Scriptura. This is it. This is the source of faith and practice, of doctrine. This is it. There is no other. All right here. One spot. Your experience, all these other things. Study other books. We'll talk about that in a second. All of that has got to flow back and be filtered through this. It does not go anywhere else but here. Everything I say, everything Gabe says, everything John Piper, David Platt, you don't, I don't care, name your preacher, says has got to be filtered through this book. 66 books, all divinely inspired and errant in every way, in autograph, in the original translations. Yeah, we can still, or the original writing, but this is God's word, and that means something. And so we get, though, you know, that, and that's enough. If that's all we knew that was going to happen is that this is God's word and that we're supposed to study it, that's enough of a reason. But then Paul goes on and he gives us some other reasons. He's, in, in verse 16, we see that uh, Scripture is useful for teaching. And it, it is useful for me doing this teaching. Yeah, absolutely. But it's useful for you being taught. One of the translations of that word is, is doctrine of you knowing what to believe, the right things to understand. It's useful for reproof. That's the boat order of the head, okay? That's, that's the, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that. Bringing that kind of correction, convicting you of sin, it is useful for that. It's useful for correction, which is the other side of that coin, which is building you back up and fixing the problem that's been there. It's useful for the training of righteousness so that, we are complete and equipped. And if you overlay that, that passage with Ephesians 6, 14, where Paul is closing out a section about the armor of God, we see that that's the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word. And so what we have here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 is basically Paul teaching us how to use your sword right. That's the point. That's the point. That's what we get out of it. But that's even that is critically important but secondary if you grab that it's God's word to us that answers so many questions doesn't it 
So we see the immediate importance of this. And, and then Paul closes out in, uh, with talking about false teachers and, and talking about wanting people's ears tickled in chapter four that we're not gonna go look at all the way. But you know, we have effectively what we've done, especially now we go back and we look at the armor of God in Ephesians six, and we talk about discipline of a soldier. We've entered combat and all of a sudden this isn't fun and games anymore, is it? Very real the more we grab the fact that, that you and I, once we have trusted in Christ, have entered a war, and it's a spiritual war, but that we don't see all of that is going on in our physical eyes all the time, but it is no less real. And that the way that we fight that battle is through prayer that we've already talked about in the last few weeks, but through knowing and understanding God for seeking, from seeking him out and, and learning what there is to know about him. And, you know, and again, it's, it's about who's out there because we're called to go and tell them this God that we, are know, that we know, and we gotta know him better to tell about him well, don't we? We gotta know what he's done in us, and man, that's enough, but the more we're able to fight with this, the more we're able to, to push false doctrine and false teaching aside, the more we're able to understand and know God and what he says about himself through his word, the more we're able to, to, to bring conviction and to bring truth to people and help them grow and know and understand and know this God that we profess to love so much. And so what we want to do is just get really practical at that point, because I think that you guys know pretty much everything that I just said. You're here at the branch and we're kind of big on scripture. If you've been here at all, you know a lot of those things. If you've been a Christian for any season of time, you know a lot of those things of the critical importance of the word, the fact that it is God's, that it is inerrant, that it is um, God-inspired, God-breathed, that, that, that we know those things. But then what we end up with is, hey, you know what? I feel convicted. I know that I've tried to microwave the thing. I know I haven't spent the time in study that's necessary to really you know, to, to make myself that approved worker that, that Paul is calling Timothy to be, there's so much more that I need to do better. And again, through, through Christ's strength, but I've got to, you know, we've got to walk this thing out, y'all. And you know what? It's daunting. It seems overwhelming. You know why it seems overwhelming? It is overwhelming, okay? When I pick this book up and I look at all the different things in here that I need to know, it's like for every one thing that I figured out, there's 101 things I don't know. Anybody feel that way? When you read the Bible, you're just like, am I ever going to get this? You know, our, our homer, our, my hermeneutics professor in, in seminary, who I loved and Sarah didn't, um, he, was a, he was a nuclear engineer while he got his theology. He was a really wicked smart guy. But he, he knows all this stuff. And he said, you know, the stuff that keeps me awake at night is not the stuff I know about the Bible. It's not the stuff I don't know about the Bible. Bible. It's about the stuff I do know and I don't do. Like, let's start there for one. Let's act on what we already do know, but then realize that this is gonna be a process. So here's some key things that we need to grab as believers as we're gonna launch off into this battle and into knowing the word, into studying the word, understanding that it is overwhelming because it is huge to digest all there is to know about God. That first of all in that is that you have not been left alone. 
We saw that clearly presented that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He gave us the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. It talks about one of the key things for the, that the Spirit does is lead us in all truth. He teaches us through this. He helps us understand it rightly. And I would even go so far as to say that you will not understand the Bible rightly without the help of the Holy Spirit. Not gonna happen. You've got to have him in there helping train you and teach you. So you, you have help. You're not launching into this by yourself in your own strength. Second thing is, is you don't have to be Greek or Hebrew trained theologian to, to know this. I, I don't have all of those things. I know where to go look at some different stuff and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I'll point you to some resources and I, actually we're not gonna have time to, to digest all of those things, but um, you're, you're, God has revealed enough about who he is, how to know him, and what he calls us to do in a straight reading of scripture. You don't have to go to the first concordance. You don't have to go to the first Greek help. You don't have to do any of those things. You can just straight up read the word of God, and it will tell you how to know him and what he asks of us to do. It's real clear. It's not hard. As we dig, as we pull nuggets out, as we want to go deeper, yes, there's some resources that can help us. And we're not going to have time to go through all those. If you're interested in that, I got about 20 of them back there on the table next to Carlton. Grab, grab one. If we're out of them, shoot me an email. I'll send it to you. Um, but it's nothing that's rocket science. Um, it, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. Um, the computer, the Internet has made that so much easier now than it ever used to be. Um, there's so much information out there, so much good teaching and good preaching. And the, and the thing is just knowing where to go look and read. And, and you will grow and learn, but it all goes back to this. The, the third thing is, it's gonna take a lifetime to know this. You, know, you go back and look at Ephesians 5 and, and it talks about Christ and the church as being the picture of marriage. And if you're married, you get this, is that do you ever stop learning about your spouse? No, you don't. It's been 15 years for Sarah and I in October. Pray for her. <laughs> I'm still learning. I learn stuff every day. And just when I think I've figured it out, sometimes I have to relearn things all over again. But that's, gonna, that's not going to stop until one of us dies. And in the same way, if you ever find the place where I've learned, you think you've learned it all, repent. If you ever run into a person that says, I figured God out completely. I know all there is to know about God. You need to run because one of two things is real. They either lie or remember, I have a three-year-old. They are S-T-U-P-I-D. I'll go slower, S-T-U-P-I-D. Th those are the two options because if you say that and you really believe, I'm sorry for you. You don't know all there is to know about God because this is limitless even reading through stuff that you've read a million times before, God is still teaching you in his word. He's still showing you new stuff about himself. So how do you do it? How do you do it functionally? There's so much in here. So, okay, real easy. Pick a book and read it. Pick a book and read it. Pick a big book in the Bible, the Genesis, the, you know, uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, whatever and just read through it. It may take you several days, a week, a month. Just read. Pick one of the smaller books. Second Timothy, for example, Colossians. They're short. Read it once a day for a week, for a month, whatever. Start 
And that's the thing, is start digesting Scripture. Start taking the time to put it in your head and in your heart. And you know what's going to happen? Is it's going to bring transformation and change. Because Scripture is exactly as Hebrews 4.12 says it is, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is not a dead book. It is living and active. And even when you feel dry, and even when you feel you're reading this and it seems dry, Sarah just finished Leviticus. She's got endurance. Because I start Leviticus and I'm like, I gotta go back to one of the Pauline epistles now because that makes sense to me. Give me my New Testament back. You know, because I get bogged down in it. But even when it feels dry, and even when you feel dry, it's still doing something. You know, believe it or not, many, many moons ago, in a place called Mobile, Alabama, I ran cross country and track in college. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I learned there, and, and you compete as an athlete at that level, that is your job, okay? I used to run 80 miles a week. I still get boggled at that, okay? But Sunday afternoons are like 16 milers. And I'm going to tell you that there is not every Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, that I hip, you know, hopscotched out of church and went, yippee, I get to run 16 miles today. No, what I want to do is lay on the couch and flip channels like all the rest of my roommates or the other guys around campus. But no, you go do it. And it doesn't, you don't, you know, they talk about the runner side, that hit, hits every so often. But a lot of times it's just a slog and it just hurts. But you know what? There's still training benefit in doing that. There's still, it's still making my body strong and tough. Even now, 20 years later, as I've started working out again, I feel it coming back because there was a base built long ago on my legs and in my lungs. And it's hard to believe, but it's still, I can feel it because of the work that was put in so long ago. And that's exactly where we are with Scripture and what it takes to, to get where we need to be with the Lord. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you're not going to feel like it. Yeah, you're going to feel like it's just dry sometimes, but just keep plugging away. It's a season. You're going to break through. You're going to be award, rewarded with those, those nuggets of, and I remember working through this, and God showed me, Boom. And when you hit those moments, that makes all the, the discipline of the others fade away because it's just, it's awesome when you hit those. Um, now there's a place here as well. And we're, we're about to wrap up, so hang in there with me. But there's a place here for reading other stuff besides the Bible, all right? Um, books, listening to sermons, Christian music, observing God's order uh, through the created world, observing how he's, impacted history. I mean, I love history. That was my major in college. I mean, I look back and see his hand in what he's done. And, you know, you can look at the the D-Day invasion in World War II, and I mean, God's fingerprints are all, that thing should have failed. It's amazing what God did in that. And you see him, you give him glory and praise because of those things. You see him in creation out here. Who do you think makes the wind blow? You know, it, even scientists now that are we're, we're hardcore evolutionists are starting to see that at least, they're not to Jesus yet, but at least to intelligent design, 
that they see fingerprints of something that's a first cause of all of this. And so the prayer would be that they keep seeking and who and know who that one person is that did all of this. But that points to God. Romans 1 even says that. And so there's a place to study those things. You know, all of that stuff does what Philippians 4 talks about of, you know, helping us think on what is, what is excellent and praiseworthy of turning our affection and our attention to Christ, to the Lord and helping us know him better and want him more and gives us a deeper love for him and a deeper passion for knowing him and his word. All of that stuff turns our mind there. And so it's, it's good. Find the devotional you like to do. Find books you like to read. Christian biography is, is awesome. Go pick up a copy of Three Gates of Splendor about Jim Elliott. Um, the five missionaries that got martyred in 1956. Incredible. It'll make you want to run through a wall for Jesus, okay? And it's scary, but it, it just shows you. You can go read uh, Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. You want to sink your teeth into a stake. Go grab Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. That's an awesome book about a, a man in love with the Lord and all that happened in him. You know, I forget what prophet, martyr, spy. I forget the tagline on the book. I mean, dude did it all um, through World War II and, and before. But it's, it's incredible, and it, it helps turn your affection and your intention to God. But I want you to realize, and I want you to understand that even in doing that, this is my last caution on this, is that those things, no matter the sermons you listen to, the books you read, the music you hear, whatever, it's still not Bible. They're good, but this is the final arbiter of, dis, of doctrine. This is the word. All of these other things, there are things I've heard John Piper preach sermons and I went, yep, no, you missed that. I am just that arrogant to go, yeah, John Piper missed that. Um, but there's some, there's some things I'm like, look, you're not seeing this, John, because you live in a culture here in Minneapolis and I live in a culture here in, in Georgia, then you're, you're missing some of this because John Piper's not God. John Piper's words are not inspired things. David Platt's are not. They're still men, just like us. They're still people, just like us. Ladies, you know, I'm not gonna leave you out either. But all of what anybody teaches you, whether it's Gabe or whoever, the songs you hear, the books you read must be filtered through this. This is the bedrock. This is what we stand on 100% of the time. And anybody tells you different, run, run. Go read Billy Graham's story. He wrestled with this. I think his buddy Templeton that he used to preach with, who became an atheist later, challenged him on the inerrancy of scripture. And Billy Graham wrestled with this. And it was after he settled that in his heart that he said, nope, God, this is your word. This is what we're basing this on, and this is what we're going after. And that's when his, his career took off of evangelism, and we know the impact that, that his, he and his ministry has had over the last, golly, 70 years. I, f I forget when he started, but a long time ago, all over the world. So as we close, my prayer for all of us a prayer for myself is that God would give us the drive to study and the discipline to do the thing and to put in the hard work of studying his word. And, and once 
you know, once that's brought into your proper place, and this is the other thing, that all these other spiritual disciplines, uh, I, I kind of wish Foster had started with this one, honestly, because even, even in meditation that we talked about, meditation's got to flow out of a right understanding of what the Word says. If you're, if you're meditating on something that God's not really saying, that's not a good thing. And, and this, but this is a foundation that once you get this, the other stuff, I think, kind of blends in a lot easier, um, I, I find. And so maybe you will too, but let's pray together. Uh, and then once I pray, the worship team is going to come up and the communion is going to be out as they lead us in worship. Um, and I would ask too that if you have not yet trusted Christ, that you just stay in your seat and that communion is for those, those who are believers in Christ as it, he is reminding us what he's done for us. And uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for, um, for all that you have done and that you have taken the time to reveal yourself so concretely. Um, through the scripture, Father. There are things in there that are hard to understand. I wrestle with them too, and I pray that you would give us diligence as we look, to those, look at those passages, that you would teach us, that you would put teachers and resources in our past that would help us digest those things, God. But at the same time, understanding that we don't have to figure all that out in one sitting. Sometimes look at it and come back. And Lord, we thank you that you have made it crystal, crystal clear how to know you and what you would expect of us, Father. We thank you for that. And we pray that, Lord, we don't let ourselves get worried about all that we don't know and all that we don't understand, but, Lord, that we would be obedient to what we do know and do understand. And let's start there. And, Father, one of those places of obedience is being faithful to study, to show ourselves as, as an approved worker, Father, to rightly handle the word and to rightly handle it. Lord, we've got to be in it. Lord, turn our hearts and our minds toward you. Change us and bring transformation. Give us a passion for you renewed and get a passion for your call to go make disciples, Lord. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.